It listens to me. It doesn't listen to Jen. She does the same thing. Stop. It won't stop. I, I say I, stop. I just barely, I barely speak. No, it's stop. stop. <laughs> I think I need to turn into a female because the male side is just being a little belligerent. Uh, okay, so God bless you all. Thanks for coming. And good shout I will get into how my home pod is Ashkenazi, but I think it's totally apropos. All right, so I, I see the entire Martin family has chosen the uh, backseat Baptist mode. Shocking, since I've actually heard Mr. Martin, you know, preach against that in the past. But, uh, the very back there. There's more chairs. There it is. Okay, we're moving further back. Uh, yeah. And uh, Brian Fritz here from Texas. Thank you. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm, the celebrity. Yes, I'm about to get there. Thank you. I'm Brandy. Man, she preempts a lot. Did you know, oh, you weren't here for the tour service. Yeah, we got all out of that before the tour service too. And we have Mrs. Gardner, who Gardner. If you correct me another time, I'm taking your son away. Mrs. Gardner is uh, is a stalwart of our community, and. Uh, has the off week community down the block, and uh, or the on week, depending on how you, really on how you look at it, right? From their perspective or our perspective, oh, right? Oh, he, right? He, he Sorry, I started it. I, I opened it up, and she jumped in. You poisoned this one. Todd, of course, is uh, is with us on Tuesday nights with his son Caleb. And uh, we are. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's a rough crowd. It's it's a rough crowd. This is why we send him out first. That's right. Yeah, to take it all first. Yeah. Yeah. Work the crowd. Work the crowd. Y'all are all warmed up when I step. Oh up. man. This has been an unusual day. All. That's oh, it. But boy, we're glad you're here. So. Uh, <laughs> announcements. Announcements. A terrible waste of time. Right. Yes, ma'am. Or an announcement. Um, Firstborns. Yes. Well, um, we've had a couple questions, one of them just now, and uh, so I thought I'd just maybe we'll continue to mention that we have set a date for our son's third birthday, which will include his haircut. Woo! And we would love it if you could all join us. All of us. Yeah, celebrate. All of us. Do we bring clippers? <laughs> we'll no, provide no clippers necessary. But I, everybody will. So the date is. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Mom has another idea. <laughs> yeah, I heard about this a couple of years ago. It is Wednesday, June thirteenth, which is um, Rosh Chodesh Tammuz's uh, birthday. Nice. And um, so we are open to ideas, um, suggestions. If anybody has one, except us shutting up. <laughs> well, that may, that may, but we have not been to one actually, and so as usual, we're kind of making up our own thing. Going Great! Oh, your own tradition. Any to see the metric class, if you would. That's really, that's good. Yeah, it's good. Well, if anyone wants to sponsor the event to be at the Cape of Mount we've been to one there. We saw one when we were. It would be in the evening, Wednesday. Yes. So it wouldn't be like a service. We may be staying in. <laughs> or could make House arranged to be staying. That's right, yeah. And that is fine. So I will just continue to mention it at intervals so everyone remembers. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Morgan. Outstanding. <laughs> so uh, we've got Purim coming up. This is Shabbat. 
Shabbat Zakor. I hope you remember that. Ah. Zakor, okay. Uh, we have uh, Chazal, uh, in case you haven't clicked on the word yet. Chazal is. Um, our Sage of Blessed Memory. Chachamenu Zikronam, our Sage of Blessed Memory, right? Lifneim? Lifneim? Lifneim. Nechronam. Nechronam. Blessed. Right. So the Zikronam is the remembrance part, right? So there we go. So that's what Chazal means. Levracha. That's it. Levracha. It's Levracha, right? So. Kachamenu Zikronam Levracha. Our sage is a blessed memory. So there we go. So Zikronam is to remember. So what is it we're supposed to remember? Not to forget. Not to forget. To forget. Well, to remember to forget. Get all the Torah discussions. That's it. All right? So we've got uh, Purim coming up, because that's right before, right after this particular Shabbat. When you're actually doing something for Purim this year, since we're not going anywhere. Good, 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 and good. How many people are actually dressing up? Richard is. <laughs> I don't really do the dress up thing. I'm going as myself. Richard's gone as a Scotsman. If anyone <laughs> does not place for Purim, we are reading the Megillah at our house on Wednesday night. I think it, gonna be there. it isn't really called a party, but we're reading. Just gonna read. So we're gonna read the McGill. Yes. Yeah. So anyone, in case you don't have to dress right. up. That, that means the Bartos house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 rap, rap, rap. Hi, I'm here for the party. Yeah. Okay. All these people show up in costumes. <laughs> costumes optional. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. I think that's it. Tetzava in the uh, Ashkenaz is what we're reading this time. And I saw a couple of quotes. I hope you did too. And uh, Joshua, lead us. Okie dokie. I see my son, it's time for the next stage of his afternoon. So let him go. Bye. Shalom. Shalom. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. Sophia, I got a question for you. Do you have any any clothes that have gold on them? Yes. You do? I have some leggings. Leggings that have gold? Are they special? Yes. Yeah. Do you only wear them like all the time or just special times? I think all the time except Shabbat. Oh, okay, <laughs> so they're not for Shabbat, but for other times. Because some things are special to wear on Shabbat, right? Right, yeah, like, like, is that dress a special Shabbat dress? Yeah, it does look like one. It's very pretty. So we, this week we learned about the priestly garments, the Kohanim, and they have gold in their clothes. It's got, like, gold strings inside their robes. Really cool looking. As well as blue and red and white. It's kind of like some sort of uh, um, American flag with gold in it. It's quite, quite psychedelic looking. I think is how I was heard it termed. Um... But, uh, but it was very special, and the reason why they wore them is because that was the way God wanted them, what clothes they wanted to wear, when they met with him. Because God, of course, is very holy, God is very special, and so he needed the people, the man, who was going to meet with him to be dressed appropriately for the time, kind of like wearing a special dress on Shabbat. Um, and, uh, and that whole idea is so interesting because the, uh, the clothing itself is designed to help.
help make the priest holy, but what makes clothing holy? Why is it why is it holy? Is it because of the type of material it was used? Is it because of I mean I'm sure there's some very holy gematria that Mr. Upham could expound upon later. But Rashi's explanation for why the material was holy is very cool. It has nothing to do with the material. The reason why the garments were holy and the olive oil is holy and whatever else is because the people gave it in obedience to the commandment to give gifts. Nice. So what made it holy wasn't its intrinsic value. What made it holy was because of the people's act of righteousness in giving it. And that, I thought, was really cool. That, and that's kind of, I think, how God sees us. One of the things we learn about from our, uh, our Hasidic and Chabad friends is the idea of tikkun olam, to make, repair the world, to make the world a better place. But how do we do that? We do it by doing righteous things that make normal things holy. They make normal things righteous or godly. As we live our lives doing things day by day, Blessing God for our food, blessing God after we eat, which we should do, you know, now. Uh, think, yeah, Are I'm you satisfied? I'm, I, I'm quite satisfied. I'm still taking it in. Fine, get your coffee. Let us know when you're satisfied, yeah, and then we'll just, you know, we can jump on in. So that's, I think that's our, our, our reminder and a challenge to us is to try to spread that, you know? How many things can you make holy? How can you make what you do holy? I mean, as Paul tells us, in everything that you do, by eat or drink, do all of the glory of the Lord. And that idea is you're supposed to be spreading holiness throughout the entire universe. Mm-hmm. And that makes it, ex- and not only not only it makes it good, as Paul teaches us, everything's already good, God made it good, but what makes it holy, which is what Paul says in 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy not that praying over the food or blessing God for the food makes it clean and okay to eat. It says he makes it holy. The word of God and the prayer, the blessing, makes it holy. So the idea is we are we are separating it, setting it apart for God, and that changes the very nature and character of the element to be used for God. I've got Mr. Upham and, and my father-in-law. Yes, sir. I was just going to just comment. Many years ago, uh, the opportunity, you know, those of you who are familiar with Rabbi Heinrichman and our friends at the Temple Institute, mm-hmm. who have, you know, uh, reconstructed many of the instruments uh, in the temple, including the priestly garments, had an opportunity to see up close the, the Me'il, which is a robe that high priest uh, is supposed to wear, that they've remade. And it's in the whole thing is Tehelet, but it, but like every so many threads, there's a thread of gold. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it up close with the light, I mean, it just has this little shimmer to it. That's the gold threads, you know, every so many. Uh, look pretty. So there you said, said the gold thread. Is the, the box like knit? Yeah. I appreciated that also. I think as somebody who's, you know, I'm, we, the term they sometimes use is clothes source. I admit, mm-hmm. I have a nice size portion of our closet. Mm-hmm. I like to dress, you know, different colors, and to me it's fun. And I see it, I see it as, as uh, I try to use it to make, to make things holy too, because it's like I, I see it as also hopefully um, fun for other people to see what I'm wearing this week. I try to wear a tie for Shabbat. Um, and socks. And fun socks, socks. right, exactly right. Thank you, yes. Um, but uh, but I kind of I and I take some inspiration from this week's Torah portion. You know, I got God has a little has a little clothes horse in him too. He likes things to look like Well, no, but you know, isn't it? It was intentional to match those up. Um, I think it takes special skill to match your tie to your socks. So, by the way, it's good to have you back. I appreciate you being here. Missed you. Glad you had time to land. But good to have you here. 
My father-in-law, yes, sir. All right, so I, I was going to talk about that, but you already talked. So uh, the Baal Haturi, when the Jews sinned with the golden calf, Moshe exclaimed to God that if he would not forgive the Jewish people, then erase me from mm -hmm. your book, mm -hmm. which you've written. So these guys say there's a principle that the request of a tzaddik is always fulfilled unconditionally, regardless of any clauses that the tzaddik himself may attach to the request. Thus, in our case, even though the Jewish people were ultimately pardoned by God, Moshe's request to be erased from the Torah, from the Torah still had to be fulfilled in some way. And that's why Moshe's name is not mentioned in this entire portion. So, and it's subtle, right? So this is one of the only times that it says, instead of, and God said to Moshe, you should command the children of Israel. It just says, and you, and you should command. Yeah. Avoiding the reference to Moshe's name. Um, to me, that just makes him all the more holy. It just sets him apart as being a, a, a person used of God in a very, very special way. And, and it, for me, marries to that parallel with the Master. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so cool. Absolutely. And, it, um, and it's symbolic as well, because this Torah portion is primarily about Aaron. So, according to tradition, um, the, uh, the firstborn was going to be the priest. The golden calf thing kind of nicks that. Not so happy with the firstborns anymore. So it goes to the Kohanim, the, the Aaron, Aaron and, his, and his family. What's amazing about this passage, though, is that, um, it's, it's your point, Moses mentioned, well, the sages go off on significance, the, the beauty of Moses being the one to anoint his brother to really have his role. I mean, Moses, we often talk about prophet, priest, and king, right? I mean, Moses is the communicator with God. Moses is the, he's effectively the first priest because he does all these offerings before to anoint Aaron to be the priest. But Moses takes a back seat. Moses doesn't go into the Holy of Holies for Yom Kippur. Moses isn't one of the one wearing all these garments. This entire, almost entire portion is about Aaron. And the, so when we read in the Psalms that how beautiful and how lovely it is when brothers live to well together, it's like the oil coming up down Aaron's beard. What oil are we talking about? I mean, the oil of anointing, becoming the priesthood. Because what is that? It's Moses pouring the oil on his older brother and saying, you be the star right now. I'm stepping out, and I am happy for you Amen. to get to have the close relationship with God and to have this position of prestige. And that's why it, it talks about that idea. I've heard this country before, this idea that that is a picture of that beauty of that unity between brothers. Yes, sir. So, so two comments. One to dovetail on what you said and another to dovetail on A double dovetail. A double double dovetail. <laughs> so that phrase in the previous Parsha, uh, when the incident of the golden calf, when Moshe says in Hebrew, please erase me. It turns out, interestingly enough, that has the same gematria as Gehenna. Yeah. Which is to say, the idea being that he was willing to go there. Sounds like Paul. Uh, in order to save his, mm -hmm. his, his brother. brother. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty deep idea. To dovetail into what you just said, the, one, of the, one of the reasons given as to why, you know, why did Aharon merit to become the Kohen Hagadol and his, and his descendants because when Hashem chose Moshe 
because he's his little brother. Like, mm -hmm. they're picking my little brother over me? But Aharon was actually happy and glad for, his, for Moshe, his younger brother, that God uh, picked him and anointed him to be the leader of the people. Because he didn't have any bitterness or resentment or whatever, mm -hmm. because he had this big heart, so he merits to be the Kohen Hagadol in his, in, in his descendants. Um, and that's why, as we read the passage, we get to the the to the, the cushion, the breastplate, and it says he had to wear the names of the tribes over his heart, because Aharon was this. He had he he had a big heart for his brethren and his people. He also could read the heart of people very well. This is why he was a peacemaker. He could bring people together, but he carried the names of, of the children of Israel over his heart as he went before Hashem, which, interestingly enough, the Gematria of Koshin equals Mashiach, because ultimately Mashiach is the one who carries all of us on his heart, as it were, mm -hmm. before Hashem. Nice. Yeah, I was going to mention that point, like when Paul says he does not cease to make intercession for us, I think he's playing off of this passage, because he's seeing that idea that, God, that Aaron is the high priest whenever he would go into the holy, well, the holy area, right, um, the, with the garments on, so I guess it's Yom Kippur primarily. Um, he has this on there. He wouldn't have him on in Yom Kippur. Or, I'm sorry, not Yom Kippur, you're right. He doesn't have him before. The other, the other, the other time. Thank you. Um, he would carry the names of the children of Israel, but, 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 but for what? For remembrance of God. And it's that same idea. It's for forgiveness. It's for judgment. They talk about um, it was partly to, uh, to, to provide clarity. That was part of the purpose of this thing, was so they have a question, they could answer the question. And then also um, for forgiveness from judgment for the, for the people. And uh, that, that was really cool, that idea that, like, the priest is sort of literally carrying a burden before God, and God is using that to bring forgiveness to his people. Also cool, so uh, Rashi cites a tradition that, um, so we have the Urim and the Tumim, which is, a, uh, you know, I think, what is it, light and something else? They're very uh, vague terms. Don't know what it was. Tradition holds that the, uh, the stones would light up. And the letters on all the different names would individually light up to spell answers. That's the way it was in Star Trek. Yeah. Well, oh, and also, uh, if you've seen, if you've seen the film, uh, uh, it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where they communicate with the lights. Yeah, right. Um, so the, it wasn't annoying. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> being a Jewish man, would understand this concept. Um, but in this case, God spoke, not some weird spaceship, which you never even got to see the alien. What's that all about? But then the uh, very disappointing. Uh, but then the you point, get the extended uh, version. <laughs> but the point is that the um, that the stones would, that God communicated with the people through the stones, and what was cool though is uh, Rashi says tradition that said the reason why is that Urim and Tumim was the name of God, the the the, uh, the Hashem spelled out the actual way right, um, put in the the chosen the uh, the breastplate, and when it was, the name of God was on the heart of the priest, then they would get the wisdom from God. So that was kind of a cool application, that yeah, idea of like having God close to you, having the person of God close to you, and that then giving you the capacity to give uh, answers to questions as well. So that's a, yeah, it's a really, the, the priestly garments, Rashi, for those of you who don't spend time reading the Rashi's commentary, it, I would highly recommend you jump in in Genesis, because it's, it's like pretty easy. He types some cool midrash, he explains some weird words that are weird, not a whole lot. You get to these portions... Holy cow, your study is like twice as long as every verse. Rashi's got like paragraphs of stuff because Rashi takes all this so seriously. 
I think that sometimes for those of us today, we read through the passage, we think to ourselves, eh, it's, eh, it's not, I mean, I'm, Temple Institute should be taking it very seriously, but what am I going to even do with all this information? Um, Rashi made a point to very, very seriously try to consider how the things looked, how they would work, where they would be tied, how tight they should be, what shape and size, and I mean, he's working from Hebrew words that may not always be well, well defined. You know, it's used one time. Okay, how do I do with that? You know, so he's trying to figure out exactly what the priestly garments look like. And uh, Ishai Fleischer and Rabbi Mike a couple weeks ago were talking about this idea. It's like when you imagine, just trying to imagine what the tabernacle looked like, it's like a mitzvah. It stretches your mind to try to comprehend something that's beyond you, and that helps prepare you to try to connect with God who's beyond you. Amen. I thought this was a really cool encouragement as you read through these passages. Some of them can be kind of dense, and it's like, no, spend the time. Try to understand, try to visualize what does it look like. Um, try to get an idea. Uh, because if you have one of these cool art scroll humashim, then you can uh, you can see the picture. That helps, too. But that idea of like trying to spend the time with it was healthy. I've got... Mr. Ruffin, did you have a comment? No. No. Okay, I'm come back. Oh, we'll come back to you in a second. Yes, sir. Want to go first? No. So, uh, two things. One, I just, I just... Maybe it's not obvious enough. Because we just read it during the Torah service. We just read this whole deal. And everything that happened, the oil being poured on his head, the put all this stuff in Aaron's hands and in the hands. Now you wave them for them, you know, like everything that is done in this portion was done by Moses. Hmm. But his name never appears anywhere. And there's so much activity going on. It's, I mean, it really is extraordinary that his name's not there. Humblest man of all. It's almost got to be delivered. I mean, he was. Of course, he would have done. Okay, so. He probably felt a lot more comfortable about this week's portion than some of the other ones. Um, So you mentioned the garments and and how intricate and special they are and so forth. Um, The one that caught me this year was, I think Alan as well, was when we're reading about the sash. We're all done. This is the last thing you put on. The sash. And Rabam says, the sash was 48 feet long. From that wall to that wall is 24 feet. Which means you're putting on a sash that's literally twice the length of this room. Alan right away said, we can't do that by yourself. <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's good. So now I'm thinking a team of guys are kind of holding the thing and you know, you just kind of spin your way into it. <laughs> 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 and then you're totally... There's actually a video on the... There's a the site for the school that's training the Kahnim in Israel. Yeah, how to put it on? They actually have a video of that of someone putting on the sash, and it's exactly that. Someone's holding the other end of it, and the and the pipe, and the priest just starts doing this. Turning. <laughs> just turning to get it just wraps himself in yeah. it. And then they try to yeah. walk in a straight line. Well, no, I yeah. can tell you how to put out a rope that's way too long. Yeah, mm-hmm. besides besides the, the dizziness thing, which I don't think we need to go They to. probably don't get dizzy because it's holding. Mm-hmm. It could be. Or what's the rush? <laughs> that's true. Right? But I, the thing that got me, she, she realized, Alan realized that you couldn't do it by yourself. What I thought of was... When you're done, you probably can't bend over. <laughs> you're going to be enormous. And I would bet you could take a bullet. <laughs> it's not going to go through all that. It can't. 
These are the things that my father-in-law thinks yeah, on a daily basis. Yeah, I agree. Take a bullet. So there it is. I, I just forty-eight feet. That's cool. Wow. It'd be really hot. It never said. Yeah, it would be yeah, hot. Yeah. Of course, it's silk. It wouldn't be. Well, it'd be hot too. Well, so but, it's, but it's not silk. I don't. I don't know if it is. Well, your house would be silk. Okay, it's not silk. It doesn't say. Linen. All I'm, all I'm <laughs> thinking of is, how wide is it? Because if it's skinny, you can kind of, you know, go up and down and up and down and up and down. And, yeah. But if it's like this wide, you're not going anywhere. And it's the Charlie man, it's the Charlie Brown with his snowsuit on, and he falls over and can't get up. And that's what I'm thinking. So, anyway. But to your point about being hot, that uh, Ezekiel talked to this idea that they had to be careful. There's certain, the way the garments are designed or structured or whatnot, it's so that the holy garments don't come in contact with areas where you sweat, right? Because you're not supposed to get them soiled. Um, this is the same principle that I use when I wear an undershirt on a regular basis. Doesn't work as well as I'd like it to, you know. Sometimes, so um, that's part of living here, you know. Oh yeah. well, but uh, AC's running, but yeah. Well, the, the, inside your house, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, elsewhere. Mrs. Garner, I was so happy to see you raise your hand. What, what do you have to say? I'm totally off topic now. But Go for it. That's, <laughs> that's the beauty. So you know what? I've been. I want you to know. Having attended, having attended the the tour portion discussion at your home multiple weeks, I have become inspired. We have no chronology whatsoever. Anywhere in the portion is fair game. That's it. I love it. It's great. Go for it. It just struck me about the the stones on the shoulders. You yeah. Talked a lot about the breastplate for judging, which is close to the heart. But the stone on the shoulders with six names on each shoulder, that priest cannot turn to the left or the right without being reminded of the people on mm -hmm. whom he's bearing them on his mm -hmm. shoulders. So That's cool. Very yeah, I think mean, it goes back to the Yeshua is yeah. a yes. constant remembrance of us. It says in, the, in a, I think it's Isaiah, Hashem tells Jerusalem, he says, I have written your name on my palms, mm -hmm. your walls are right. before me. Um, this idea of the priest being cognizant of the people at all times. Cool thing about the stones learned this year from Rashi, very cool. There were six names on each. The number of letters on each stone was 25. I don't know how you work, work that out, but somehow one through six, uh, Reuben through whatever the sixth one is, I think it's Judah, the Judah six? Anyway, one through six, seven through 12, the number of letters in their names actually is the same. Completely balanced. Crazy. Anyway. You hate for them to walk with a limp. That's good. Yeah, that's right. Like gotta, gotta have them eat it. The other thing they mentioned in the commentary is the idea that, the, that he's not only, it's not only remembered or, or forgiveness for the people, but also um, he would bear like the righteousness of the forebears. That idea is like a reminder to God of how the holiness of those men who bore those 12 names, which if you think about it, kind of does remind us of the, uh, the New Jerusalem. Right. With names so. of the apostles on the foundation stones, it's kind of same idea. It's like God, uh, God, God respects the holiness of men. Uh, when He promises in Exodus, we just read a couple weeks ago, He remembers righteousness for a thousand generations. You know, we're still benefiting the good things Abraham did, <coughs> and that, uh, and that, and that I think is a very powerful experience for us today, because you're not just simply raising your kids or your grandkids or in some cases great-grandchildren but your righteousness is blessing you know generations all the way to the end of time which is really powerful i've got you and then you back. so if, if you didn't get a chance to listen to uh the podcast from rabbi foreman with uh emu shala um it was extraordinary. it truly was and I just give you a broad brush so that you'll go listen to it because um, I can't 
do it justice. I've listened to it three or four times. But this concept of stringing pearls and going from one to another and one passage Bible to another. Yeah, and you, when you get down to the end, my head is going, "This is amazing. I, I, I really need to tell everybody I see about this." <coughs> and then I realize I can't remember the first nine pearls. <laughs> you know, so you got to start all over again. But in the bottom line, just to get you started, it was to Cindy's point: the two stones on the shoulders were actually connected to the breastplate. Uh, yeah, right. And the breastplate was also connected at the bottom to the high priest so that it wouldn't move. Mm -hmm. It would stay straight. Mm -hmm. And he says, Koshin Mishpat. What does that mean? It only appears in the Word of God one other time. We just had it like two portions ago in Mishpatim, and it, it talks about a rich man being in some type of judicial problem, legal problem, with a poor man. And you should not lean towards the poor guy because he's poor, nor should you lean towards the rich guy because he's rich. This diagonal line needs to stay straight. Oh, that's cool. And that that's cool. is what it does on the breastplate. Yeah. But then he takes it from there and says, but they're connected to the two stones on his shoulders, which represent the 12 tribes. Well, when he goes <coughs> in before... The Holy of Holies before the Ark of the Covenant. What's he? What's in there? Two stones. And I'll leave it at That's that for you to go listen. You got me intrigued. Yeah, from a family perspective, this is something you want to teach your kid. Wow, I, very cool. I, I just couldn't believe it. And it's a podcast. You're going to be driving and actually listen. I'm going on pro. Going, wow, that's so. Oh wait, stop. Sorry. Yeah, you know. You know it, Great stuff. I've had moments where I had to pause podcasts before and, and just expound to myself and like, that was cool. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or call your wife and tell her. I, I get it. Okay. So there you go. Yes, sir. So, uh, so Rob Ginsburg, who was the one that points out the Hosh, the Gemachi Hoshin of Mashiach, so he's connecting the fact that Aharon is like, he's like a type of Mashiach. He's yeah. like the priest of Mashiach, right? And he goes on to say about the, the, the two stones on the shoulders, and he the said the Mashiach bears the burdens of his people as is written, and he bore our illnesses, in quotes from oh, that's cool. Isaiah. Mm -hmm. This is Rob Ginsburg's uh, comment. Rob Ginsburg, for those who are not familiar with the, with the name, is also, I believe, the same guy who recently said, we should start teaching Gentiles Torah. Yes. So, yes. Um, he, of course, very messianic, not, not from like a christian term messianic but messianic is that he's looking forward to the coming of the messiah as so, um uh, got a guy yeah as am i i did listen to his live shore in jerusalem that was really cool. oh, that is really, that sounds really cool um yeah so he's a very interesting character and in, um, making some very interesting waves um yes sir one of the things that came up in the yishai fleischer show this week was about the names and yishai is so cool how he he said something like i think we talked about this last year but you know the names like isn't that a little presumptuous? Like people's names there, like that could have been anything written on the priest, and but it's like individuals. Well, it's very know? specific and to the Jewish people too, is what he was talking about. It's like, why isn't it people, like, like the like, nations of the world or something? You know, flags of all. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> the Olympics. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it, big gold rings. It was, it was just really cool because uh, Rabbi Mike then kind of answered that in in saying this is what teaches us that God has a individual relationship with his people. That it's not a judge that's judging a people group. You know, it's not that disconnected. And it was really cool because 
That was the first time I've heard a Jew say, I mean, because we know, Avinu Shabbat our Father in Heaven. And I, like when we learned the, uh, the Our Father prayer in Hebrew, that is the first line of Yeshua's prayer, that he tells us all to pray. Pray like this. And you start with, Our Father who art in Heaven. Uh, and I, that was the first thing I thought of because that was his point saying how that, that's, that makes sense, that there are individual names of the Jewish people there to emphasize the individual relationship God has with his people. Uh, but then, you know, he, he quotes that, and it's like, oh, man, maybe that's the, how Yeshua wanted us to think about his yeah. prayer, is that it starts with us acknowledging that we have a relationship with God in a unique way, not right. just as a, a people or as a nation collectively. Right. So really cool. No, that's really good. I'm so glad you brought that up. One of the things he was talking about, too, is it's why God, he meets specifically with Aaron. He's like, it's one guy that's the connection between the people and God. And that to that to your point, Greg, is is that emphasis of that individuality. And at the same time, you know, the holiness too, but like but that God wants to meet with us individually. Like it's the person, the individual person is important. Um, because Rabbi Mike was saying this is the definition, he's a psychologist as well. He's saying the definition it's the idea of love. Like loving generically is is fine. There's, there's a lot of good there. But um, but it's not you don't love a person generally. You can love humanity generally, but if you love a person, you love them because of who they are. He's like, I don't love. He's, he said it's really funny to hear this on a podcast. I don't love all my kids the same, and it's like what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? he, he means by that is he doesn't love them in the same way because each child is different. Each child requires a different relationship, and he loves them for who they are, not because he loves them and he's gonna you know treat them right. But it's more the sense that he loves them. He knows that this child needs verbal support, and this child needs a t uh, time spent, and this child is more active-based, or whatever. But it's that individual love that he has for them, and it's the same thing that God does for us. You know, like when, we, when we have the, the census, right? So God looks at the entire land of people of Israel, and he counts them by coins, right? So it's, it's this feeling of this, you know, you're one unity, one mass. And, but then he, he knows us by name. He says he calls them out by name because he knows them individual as well. And, and I think that that was, I thought that was such a great, awesome point to think about God knowing us individually. And it's something that I think that Christians can understand very well, but sometimes we lose track of the holiness of God. And this Torah portion fused them together. We're talking about the ultimate holiness of God. So holy that only one guy wearing a very special set of clothes is allowed to go and meet with God. He can only go in the main room one time a year. And yet, that same God wants to know us individually. Pretty powerful. And yes, it's sir. also in only one spot on the planet. Right, only one spot on the planet. And back in chapter 29 and verse 44, I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will sanctify Ahron and his sons to serve as priests. Verse 45, I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel, and I will be their God. They will know that I, God, am their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt in order to dwell among them. I am God, their God. That hit me this year. Uh, it's almost like another reason why he took them out of the out of Egypt. I mean, on the during the Passover Seder, we go through the, the four I wills. Mm -hmm. I'll do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. The last one is. And they, right? So this one here is, is almost like a culmination. So, okay, we did all that stuff. But this is really the big I will. And now it's no longer an I will. It's so that. 
<clears throat> it's almost like right. when I was a boy, he was like, you know, my dad would, was New York City fireman, so he'd be gone for 10 days at a time and be back home for four. It was, it was weird. And when, you know, it was like, wait till your father gets home, <laughs> you know, and you'll get time to spend with dad kind right. of thing. And, and that's how I read this, is that I took you out of Egypt so I could spend time with you, so I could dwell among you. Right. Not so I could see Aaron once a year. I came and took you out so that I could spend time with you. Absolutely. That's Amazing. so cool. Very cool. Very powerful. Yes, sir. Well, Rashi kind of points out to the, the, the uh, and, and I Mr. Sproul in your commentary talking about how the oil came from the people. You know, like the, there, there's a lot of the gold, a lot of the stuff came from the people. And that was their contribution and participation. And as we were reading our little kids' Bible, one of the stories where um, with the perfume, you know, and Judas gets all upset, like, "Oh, couldn't that perfume have been used for the selling to the poor? It was so expensive, and it used on Yeshua." And like, the the answer Yeshua gives is like, "But it's me. Like, it, I'm here. I'm not with you all the time. Like, this was a righteous thing that she did. It was used for a good cause." Uh, and and that is, I think, such a good way of seeing a lot of this too. You know, like. Some, yeah. some of it can seem a little wasteful, like the, the lamps are lit all the time, you know, yeah. like uh, how much oil are we going through? Like, you know, how much gold do we really need? You know, like an, an accountant would see this and be like, look at all this waste. Like, what are we doing? You don't know? even seize it. Don't, I even, uh, don't dip those handles more than once. I know. I, I, I even, even had a, a friend at work who was, who was a little bit confused about the sacrificial system and thought that Israel <coughs> was doing all of this today. I was like, imagine how much of the world hunger we could solve. They didn't kill all those animals. Anyway, it was really funny. How much but... the world hunger we would solve if they were killing those animals? <laughs> right. right. And so, uh, but but I thought like Yeshua's answer to to Judas and that whole story is is similar here, right? It's but it's for God, right? And He will always provide over Absolutely. and above, right? No matter what. And and so it's a cool practical thing to apply, even for things like Shabbat and holidays. To just not even care about the budget during those times, mm -hmm. you know, Jews are amazing about that. For you know, that they they will spread, they'll they'll spend big on on those special <coughs> days because they know that it's it's not for them, it's for right. God, and it's that it's meant to be special for Him, and it can never be wasteful right. if it's used for God. Right, and it's, it goes back to the whole Jewish principle we would say every day: Hashem is God. And it's like, mm -hmm. if God is one, this idea in Judaism, the, the, the book that consists of concept, it's vote, talks about this concept. That it's like, God is one, it's not just that only one, but that God is, the God, the unity of God is actually a unity throughout the entire universe. The only one is God. In fact, nothing else really exists, it's only God. Like, God so controls and so commands everything in complete sovereignty, nothing can, nothing can uh, refuse his will. That as a result of that, that means... That the that that the universe in a sense is a unity. It is now some things are, are sad and hard and whatever else now, but but the ultimate conclusion of it is it's all gonna it's all gonna even out in the end because it's a unity. It's a unity in God because God is complete. So God has complete control of all this stuff. So you think to yourself, well, what a waste. But God made the animals. God made the gold. He can make more. It doesn't really like it, there's no waste because God is God is saying do this for me. But it's his to begin with, and that whole idea, uh, like you're saying about that, goes the same thing with charity. It's like giving that money away. It's like it wasn't yours to begin with, and it kind of got. I was just thinking of the day I was having to work, and I was feeling frustrated about something. I had, I had um, recently I've changed a bunch of light bulbs in our home, 
And I bought the wrong size of some light bulbs. I take LEDs. it back to Lowe's. Get LEDs. I did. I went back, brought back some light bulbs to, to Lowe's. And I'm not joking. I'm putting the light bulbs on the uh, the desk to return some of them that were the wrong size. And one slipped out of my hand and shattered. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm six inches away. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. But unfortunately, <laughs> couldn't return it to me because I broke it. Um, and it was so interesting because it's like I felt that frustration. You know, money wasted. It's a whole seven ninety four. you know, whatever. But that frustration of that waste. And I was driving into work one day, and I thought to myself, no, no, it's, it's not a waste. I mean, it, it is a waste. That's, it, I should be more careful. But the point is to say, like, I don't need to be upset about it because it's like that wasn't mine to begin with. God's, God is a unity. God, if, if the universe is in God's will, that was never meant to be mine. It was always meant to not be. And I thought I could help but think of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, where he's constantly saying all is vanity. He says the sun rises and the sun sets. goes back to the same place again. The waters go to the ocean, then they go turn into clouds, and become rain, go to the rivers, and they come back to the ocean again. It's a one big circle. So it feels like nothing matters. And so that's because we're human. To us, nothing matters because we can't make progress, we can't get success. But from God's perspective, it was never going anywhere anyway. It's all one. It's all going to be the same. And in that regard, I think that takes so much pressure off of us as humans because if we really trust God, really believe that he's in charge, then nothing can go wrong. It's all meant to be. And it's not to say that we shouldn't act. That's why we're here. Uh, but but from a from a from a consequences perspective, uh, General Stonewall Jackson, one of my heroes, great guy. Whether you agree with what side of the war he was fighting on or not, um, he was a, a really godly man who was very uh, very loving and caring towards men of color. He um, he has a quote that says, "Duty is man. Consequences are God's." Basically, you do what you have to do, leave the end result to God. And that, I think, is, is really kind of you have to live. Because you look at the sacrificial system. I mean, some of these things are being burnt in whole. Taking whole animals, setting them on fire, no one's eating them. We're all just enjoying the smell and this incredibly massive barbecue. But there's not like a... And yet that's a satisfaction. And why? Rashi says, why? Because that is obedience. As we saw today in the Haftarah, Obedience is better than sacrifice, but the sacrifices were obedience. They obeyed. That satisfied God. I've got Greg, Mr. Upham, and then over here, and in my dad. Go ahead. That the concept of achad, unity, and Hashem. Uh, Rav will put it this way: In Him we live, move, and have our being. It's all Him. Which, which, is, which is to say, our very being is not separate from Him mm. in a kind of deep, right. sort of mystical way. Right. Everything emanates from Him. And there's nothing but right i mean it's kind of like and not to get too weird or mystical but the, the closest that i can wrap my own mind around it's almost like it's sort of like we're all in god's dream it's like and that's not really true but the idea is to say that like we all exist because he enables us to thoughts right so it's like none of this even the stuff that feels evil and bad is ultimately part of a bigger picture i mean the the that book the, the six constants book says that even the yetzirah the, the evil inclination is really a trainer. It's meant to grow you. The purpose isn't evil. Men sometimes do evil things, but the purpose isn't evil. The purpose is to push you to be better. That's why it's there. It's, so it's actually on God's side. God's not playing chess against the devil, and we're not sure who's going to win, and we sure hope that he comes out in the end. God is literally playing chess with himself, moving white and black pieces on the board, and he already knows how it ends. It's not a comic book. Right. That's my wife. Good point. <laughs> Father-in-law, then my dad. Take your dad first. Oh, yes, sir. The topic. Well, I mean, you talk about the, the circle of life and the, and the 
there's there's basically two modern philosophies that come from that observation, hmm. uh, and the and the difference between what the Bible's describing and them is like so stark. Right. You have nihilism, that basically says like, well, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Nothing matters. Nothing matters because it's all just going on, and and in my insignificance, I might as well make myself grand. So it, right. it, the idea that you're insignificant actually is a is a is permission to do whatever you want. Right. Um, and That's then what you they have. Say. And then you have the other side, which is you know the Lion King circle of life nonsense, which is we should worship the circle of life. Right. You know, the circle of life that this cycle is a grand, intelligent something, and that we are we are small pieces of it. God is exactly the opposite of that. He is all inclusive in all of these things. As the rain falls and runs to the, he's but he's allowing us through obedience to participate. Right individually and right. in fact it not it doesn't make us nothing it makes us intricate in parts of his design right, right. so our our righteous deeds so it's the opposite that's why when i hear nihilistic feudalistic talk and we all do it at times whether we realize it or not right it is the exact opposite of what scripture does scripture holds the individual as as so important part of glorifying god that we are actually given this duty to obey him is our duty Right, right. And the sages would say, so far as you have to do it because you don't have time or opportunity to do it after you die. Right. It's only in this lifetime only now. that we and, can be obedient. And he gives us the ability. Like in all right. his references, he endowed them with the spirit of wisdom. Right. And it's and like, that's what a waste if they didn't fulfill that duty. That's right. And to that point, we are the only ones made in his image. We are his workmanship, yeah. created in Messiah, unto good works. So you say you're only the one cog in the machine, but you're a cog in the machine. The machine works because you're there. God's using you. Amen. And that and that's one of the things, Rabbi Mike and Yishai Fletcher were talking this week in their podcast. They're talking about the whole idea of doing something. He's like, as Jews, like you have to do. Like You can't not do. The one thing you can't do is do nothing. You have to do. And if you think about it, what would it be? Or in the morning, we're praying, talking about Shabbat prayers, and we're talking about um, we're talking about Shabbat. What does it say? To make, to do the Shabbat, to keep to the Shabbat. It doesn't say to cease. Which is amazing because Shabbat is all about rest. But on the one day a week that you're supposed to do nothing, quote unquote, that's not true. There's a whole you're lot supposed to do. to do things because the idea is that you should always be doing. You know, in the in the in the in the, in the um, in some parts of some of our brothers and sisters in the faith, there is a mistaken idea that God doesn't want us to do. He wants us to be. I just need to be. i got to practice being. Let go. Let, let go. go. Let God. It's got to be. And, and that's not what God's called us to do. When, he, when Martha and Mary get in trouble, I'll get, have this discussion, right, with, with Yeshua, Yeshua's not saying that Martha is wrong for doing. The difference is about priority of doing. Mary, he says, Mary chose the better thing. Not, Mary has ceased. Mary is resting. This is what we need. Mary made an active choice to sit at Yeshua's feet and listen. She didn't just happen to be sitting there and Yeshua showed up and she goes, well, I guess I'll just stay here. She chose to sit at his feet and learn. Martha chose to go and, and serve. She They're not... Patches right, right. But the point is that... Uh, exactly right, yeah. Uh, but the point is that... Um, what Martha was doing wasn't bad. Is that in the Jesus. time, the priority, kind of like we're talking with Judas, right? Judas is like, we could have used that money for the poor. And Yeshua is saying, I'm here, use it for me. 
But the idea is the priority of doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so important because sometimes it's so easy to get caught into this mindset of not doing anything. We just want to stop. We want, we're tired, we're worn out. We just want to let go and just, and just be. And God is, is challenging us to do. One of the things Rabbi was saying is like, that's why you're here. Mm -hmm. God doesn't need you. But if you're here doing nothing, you are completely meaningless in this universe. The only reason you're here is to do. And that's what the people did. God called individuals to give things for this tabernacle. Look at these poor people. Like they're walking out of Egypt going, why did God give me an enormous amount of blue thread? What am I supposed to do with this? My neighbor just happened to be the thread guy. Mm -hmm. And I got all this blue thread, and I have no idea what it's going towards. Um, you know, they, they teach this idea that uh, the sages say that uh, Jacob planted trees in Egypt specifically for, for the tabernacle. But you got to wonder, you know, some of the, you know, the grands, great, great, great grandsons, they're looking at these trees going, okay, we you chop down the tree and take it with us to the desert. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, they say something about building some sort of house for God in the desert. Really? Okay, fine. I guess. Oh, it's like God gave them these things for one reason, so that they could build a place to meet with God. And they got to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. How much more so should we on a daily basis we're doing? We're building a temple for God. I've got Mrs. Garner and then I've got it around the room. Just as an aside, I do think there is a place for be. I don't I don't think that because I am is a being. I mean, that's right. a verb of being. Well, there are times so, that God tells us to be still. Right. Because we so get in I his think, way. But that's a choice. Just, you choose to be still. the vibe that you're saying. There's never a place for be. And oh, I, I hear not, you. I don't think that's what but you're But I think, I think that sometimes not. though we, uh, we, we confuse being with inactivity. I agree. And we've sometimes put a higher priority on being and doing, and that's backwards. Right. And my comment was, that's how his will is done. That is how his kingdom is coming. We pray that all the time. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. That's how it happens. Right. Through us. Through our hands. Through us. We are his will being done. We are his kingdom coming. We are. And, and you know, one thing. Get or get out of the way. Right, right. And that's exactly what, I mean, this week's, this week's holiday is all about that. What is more, when Mishai Fisher and Reverend Mike were talking, this whole concept, they're pointing back at Mordecai and Esther. And it's like, Mordecai doesn't tell Esther, you're only only shot. You got to do it because the Jewish people are all going to die. He tells her, you don't do to find somebody else. He doesn't need you, but this is about you. And he says, because what Rabbi Mike was saying is, it's like, if you don't act, you are lost. It wasn't that if you don't act, God's going to judge you and you're in big trouble. It's if you don't act right now, you're meaningless. You missed your point. God put you as queen to do something. You're here for a reason. And if you don't act, you will miss the entire purpose for that, for that event in your life. And I think that that, and that's your point. I think you're right. There are times where God calls us to be still, but I do believe that it's an, it's an active choice. It's kind of like Mary sitting there before Yeshua. It was a choice on her back. And I think too often, especially I'm one of those people, I, 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 it's hard to make decisions sometimes because then you're responsible for them. So I like to kind of be like, well, we'll just see what happens. I love to plan everything in advance until it means that I have to choose between two things that are hard to make a decision between. And I'd like to just kind of wait and see. And, like, and that's, that's not the way that God's called us to. He's called us to be in a place where we have to be Mordecai. You have to either bow or stand up, but you got to do something. You can't just stand there. I've got a whole bunch of godly men, so let me go around the room here. Okay, so... Sort of to that point, the haftara for uh, Shabbat Zakor is about Samuel and Saul, Shmuel and Shaul, mm -hmm. and in that passage, we have an often misinterpreted or misused quote 
with regard to God not desiring sacrifices, not right. but obedience. Mm -hmm. And the implication being, if you have anything to do with or if you approve of sacrifices, then you've missed the whole point of the Bible. He wants obedience, not sacrifices. Well, and if you start thinking this might do them again, you're trampling on the blood. Absolutely. Now, which was enough, the ultimate sacrifice? Isn't that an oxymoron? I know, right. ironic. Right. And he was the ultimate <laughs> sacrifice, which is not a biblical quote. Um, but that's what's thrown at you. Right. And ironically, we're the people that are promoting obedience. <laughs> yeah, right? So, it's like, obedience wait a second. Obedience through sacrifice. You, I'm actually on that side. Did you? Okay. So, um, to that point, um, most folks don't realize that this is the setup, the obedience setup for Leviticus 10. So, unless you looked it up like I just did, you wouldn't know it was in Leviticus 10, but... In the Moftir reading, when Avron kindles the lights in the afternoon, he should make incense go up in smoke. It's an eternal incense before God for all generations. You should not offer up on it unauthorized incense, a burnt offering, or a flower offering. You should not pour any libation on it. Once a year, and it goes on to the Day of Atonement. That word for unauthorized Incense is exactly what in Leviticus 10, verse 1, when Nadav and Avihu right. offer strange unauthorized, fire. or in your version, strange incense. It's the same word, zur. Not zur, which is rock, but zur. God actually meant what he said. So when he says, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. He actually means that, right. literally. And when we have another verse that says, do I not, do I care about sacrifices more than obedience? It doesn't say, stop sacrificing, simply be obedient. Right. That he is actually pretty literal. It is kind of amazing that in the apostolic scripture, whenever you have an idiom or an exaggeration, we always assume that's an idiom or an exaggeration. Yeshua is not actually telling you to hate your father and mother. It's love God so much. It compared to, right, but but here when we have, you know, a phrase, it's not even really that much of an exaggeration. It's just a comparison. Oh, well, obviously God's done the sacrifices. That's it. Boom. Like, um, I think there's a little bit of a reader bias going in there. Yeah, but this is where that comes from. This is why they died. Right, and I think that you're, and you're so right. God means what he says and the obedience that's talking to the prophets. When God says, I don't want your sacrifices anymore, we're actually going back to Proverbs. Because the offering of a wicked person is not acceptable. Right. Because God's saying, you're trying to get close to me, but you're not doing what I said. And like, you know, we've, I, for, for um, I'm not there yet. We're getting very close, I think, where children do that with their parents, you know? Your child disobeys flagrantly and then comes <laughs> up and wants to give mom or dad a big hug. Like, somehow that's going to make it all better. And that's fine. You just have a it's like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> Uh, we first need to deal with what just happened, and then we can have a big hug. But the, the relationship right now is not okay. That doesn't mean that I love you less, or the relationship is damaged irreparably, or anything like that. But until you and I work this out, things are not okay. And the people, by using the sacrifices, is acting like the relationship. They're saying, I want to be close to God, and God's going, you don't deserve to be close to me. Let's deal with what's going on first, and then we can talk about being close again. But right now, relationship is not is not ideal. Amen. Yes, sir. So I have a comment on something completely different, which is the seats. 
the the diadem? I can't get the answer to that on HomePod. But, yeah, you know what? Yes, of course. <laughs> of course you can't. But Mr. Uppa might be able to. By the way, I, I just put in a little plug again for Rabbi Foreman because he goes through the zits when he deals with those stones and it will blow your mind. This is the three strings that hold the gold? The, the zits is the, is is the, the gold. Nameplate. Oh, the nameplate. Okay, that is the diadem is how it's translated in, in my yeah, Rosh spends an inordinate amount of time to prove that there are three strings holding it together, which I think is really actually pretty cool because it just shows you the amount of reverence he had for the passage. He wants to make sure he knows how many strings are part of this thing. Well, two so, is going to slip. Right. So this is uh, chapter 28, verse 36. And you shall make a diadem of gold, and you shall engrave upon it the engraving of a signet ring. Kodesh, Kodesh Ladonai, holy to Hashem, and you shall place you shall place on it a thread of blue green wool to hell it, and it shall be on the hat, the turban. Turban. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, <clears throat> Ginsburg brings a midrash from the Zohar. It's from the Zohar, and he says the the zitz, this nameplate, golden nameplate was tied onto the um to the turban sure. and it's like it, the zohar describes it like it was like a reef it was like a decorative reef around the turban hmm. and and it compares it to uh to some other reefs so it says the aron the ark that was in the holy of holies mm -hmm. you know it was engraved around the, the edge like a like, like a, a crown a crown yeah it's a crown right those crown, uh, also uh, in the Zohar, they refer to it as a, as a wreath, but crown. And then there was a crown around the table of showbread. Right. right. And the okay. altar of incense. Same deal. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Zohar says the the wreath or the around the ark is the crown of Torah. Mm -hmm. And the wreath around the the crown uh, around the table of showbread is the crown of kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the wreath around the altar of incense is the crown of priesthood, makes and it makes a remez to to, to Mishnah Avot. There are three crowns: the crown of the Torah, the crown of the kingdom, and the crown of the priesthood. But the crown of a good name is above them all. Huh. What's the crown of the name? The Zitz Ladonai. Nice. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. And. Of course, in typical Ginsburg fashion, it turns out that the word that's used in the Zohar, Zev, for reef, you take the you take the three reefs, the the, the ark, the table showbread, and the altar of incense, plus the reef of the of the zitz, and the the gematria of those added together is Mashiach, which is to is. say that the good name that's above all is the name of Messiah. Oh, that's cool. That's too cool. Well, that, that ties in with the whole idea that he would go before God with the name of God on his ark. Yes. It's because the, the, that breastplate was, they say, partly to bring atonement for the people, for their sin. And they had, So how does he do it? He does it with the name of Hashem, which is, goes back to the whole idea of the name of Mashiach having, um, having atoning or salvific power. Uh, which is a very name, cool. A name above, name above all names. names. Totally changed my view of that verse in Pirkei That's really cool. Mm. It's like, wow. That's right. cool. The name, good, the crown of a good name is really, is really a reference to Messiah. And if you go to Zechariah, that, that holy to the Lord inscription is put 
everywhere. Like just that's that up. yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry, let me steal your thunder. That's okay. You go ahead and finish. It's it. Um, it's talking about feast of tabernacles, and it says, "In that day, holiness of the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bells before the altar, and every pot in Jerusalem, Judea, shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts." Amen. And and I was looking at that because it always reminds me of the fact that it's going to be for everything. Mm-hmm. At this point, we're looking at Aaron holiest of holy going into the holiest of holy places and yet Mashiach is here we're going to sense that holiness in everything and it's going to be expanding so that right now you're right it's one person one place then the holiness is throughout the whole city of Jerusalem where even the common pots are holy but in the world to come there's not even a temple because everything all of us are so holy we can actually interface with God mm-hmm. and that goes back to the garden that's the whole picture I got my father, and then I got Josiah in the back. Well, I just want to go back to that notion of being and like being still, or whatever else. <clears throat> there's a there's a uh, a very important movie in the '90s that. Uh, um, Hutch? No, <laughs> although it's close. Um, <clears throat> the second version of Sabrina, the '90s version of Sabrina. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she walks in to her father, and her father is a chauffeur, and he has a huge. He has a room that's a reading room. It's a library. And he's got a stack of books next to him. And she says, I love that about you, that you became a shower so that you could read. <clears throat> and, and the notion that reading is of, I mean, many people would look at that and go, well, reading is of, really, there's, I mean, that's not action. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've used that same similar phrase on someone not to be named because I don't want to embarrass her, but she just turned 30 again. <laughs> um, oftentimes I, I walk in and, and find her just sitting. Uh, and she's not doing anything obvious. And, um, and I know that she does it for hours at a time. And, it's, and it, that, that uh, those, those times of prayer are, and Judaism teaches this, prayer is not just doing nothing. Right. You're not speaking, you're not just speaking uh, wishes or desires to God, but that you are actually creating, you are creating praise to him. And so, just just to enforce the idea that our that our sometimes doing is not necessarily something that other people can see. Right. And, and I wouldn't even have mentioned her except that you need to imagine <laughs> someone just sitting for hours. Right. Well, it reminds me of uh, your grandfather who had the Bible. Uh, my granddaddy. Your granddaddy. Actually, no, no. Yeah, he's the one you're named. He's talking about mine. No, he's talking about. No, he's talking about my grandfather who could not read. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, they, I'm sure they both did something similar. My grandfather yeah. could not read, and he would sit for hours after he was retired. He would sit for hours in a chair with a giant Bible in his lap, reading his Bible. He could not read. Yeah, my granddad, third grade education, could hardly write his name. He sit for hours with his Bible in his lap. So I think that, and that's, until my point, though, what I was trying to say earlier is, is that sometimes God does call us what would have appears to just be being like Moses tells the people stand still and see the but the point that I get at is that when they're being they're choosing to be as opposed to letting it happen and I think that's the key we're called to action to do something even if it means choosing to do nothing it means doing it on purpose and I think that sometimes what we make the mistake of is we misunderstand that and instead we let the universe happen to us and that's not what God called us to do because we're here to change the universe in in accordance with His will, of course. Um, I do. You at the same time, I, I forgot to say the phrase: "You became a mother. You wanted to become a mother 
just no, so that you could pray. Oh, you wanted to homeschool just so that you could pray. <laughs> Just, just real quick, it takes. Um, there's there's so many ways, and, and uh, the way Alan puts it is that we need to we need to elevate our meals to the times of worship. Yeah. Well, that that only happens if we act. That's only happens if we do so. So, blessed be the Lord for the food and for the land. Amen. 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 As he's finally satisfied. That's I am. Good. Just just yeah, but he was, we, were, we were allowing him to actually make that call. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I, Joshua, I think the point you're making about the, the inactivity is something like, um, you know, when we first get introduced to the idea of Shabbat, like, you can take it at first, like, oh, okay, there's things that we should not do when we break Shabbat. So the safest thing for me to do is to just sleep all day. Right. And if I stay... You, you focus on the not doing. Right. That's Yom Kippur. Then, and I will... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I'm very busy on Yom Kippur. A lot of prayers. Yeah, right, because it's... You're just going to be all right with it. If you think uh, the safest thing for me to do is I'll just, I'll just stay right. in bed all day, then, like, well, that isn't really breaking Shabbat. But then we look at, well... Absolutely. But it is. Be, you're be doing. Right. And you're missing yeah. out. Exactly. You're missing out on the joy. Yeah, be, be keeping. You. It's a verb. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, keeping Shabbat. Well, not only that, but in Isaiah, it is in a way, but it could be better. In Isaiah, there's the promise, right? If you turn your feet from doing own things and you don't speak your thing, but you do my words and so forth, then the blessing is is extraordinary. Well, I think that's one thing. It's like if you you follow, I mean, Judaism, they don't like Shabbat. And Yom Kippur are probably some of the busiest days of the year for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because some rabbis that literally stay up all night every Shabbat, right? Because they don't want to waste an hour or a moment not studying Torah on Shabbat, right? So it's like you see that instead, not as a time of ceasing from doing, but the time from ceasing of doing normal life. You take a break from work. You take a break from those things that distract us from God. I mean, I don't know. I have trouble sure sometimes. It's the same argument when he's being chastised about, you know, uh, healing on the Shabbat right. or whatever. He's saying, look, the, the Levites, you know. They're busy are, guys. Are, they, they have a barbecue going on. They've, they've got, not only have they lit a fire, they're kicking a fire all <laughs> they day. They keep the fire going. Right? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so it's. There's, there's a common misconception. There's a bunch of right. butchering going on. Well, that's the thing, and that's the thing. Steaks on the grill. Yeah, that, but that's, <laughs> that's but the idea being, it's like, this is our time to meet with God. He's still enough, in a way, so that we can spend all of our doing focused on Him. Amen. Because during the week, we have work to do, and it's good work. Not bad. But this is a different, this is an opportunity to do different work. So I've got Greg, and then I've got my father-in-law. Yes, sir. This is just kind of off-topic and kind of just an interesting thing that I saw this year. But it does say that this, this head plate is worn all the time by Aaron. You know, and he can't read it. He yeah. can't see it. So it's yeah. not for him. It's for everybody that sees him just like his brother with his face shining mm. after he came oh, down to right. Right. Oh. Moshe couldn't see it, right. but everyone else could. A little plug for Rabbi Foreman. Oh. Talk about why you wear tzitzit, because you can't really see it. And he ties it into that as well. Unbelievable thing. You gotta, he yeah. ties it into it. It was kind of also thinking about tefillin, too. Like yeah. when we pray on Friday yeah. mornings, you know, the arm one, so almost like the breastplate, like that's what I see. Right. It says the stones on the shoulders are for remembrance. You could see them right there. But couldn't see the head one. That's When I'm wearing that, that's for you. When you're wearing it, that's for me. Right? right. right. So, so we, 
Yeah. Actually, you said to fill in another thought. Uh, the the commentary says that when the high priest was wearing the seats, he could not let his thoughts wander. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Like he had to, he had to make sure his thoughts were focused on the service, the Adav Hashem, and you know, he could not let his mind wander when he's wearing this, right? So, um, uh, I'm trying to remember who said this. I can't remember. Forgive me, I can't remember where I read this, but somebody said, how much more when we're wearing tefillin? Because the Zitz only has the name of Hashem once. Uh. But tefillin, with four parchments, has the name of Hashem 42 times. <laughs> That's pretty cool. No pressure. No pressure. No. Which, by the way, is the number for the universe. Okay. Wow. 42. Thank you, Douglas Adams. <laughs> Not a Jew. I figured if you're if we're we're done we could I could close up with this point. Well, I do have one if of you got one because you yeah, got one more because this is cool. A couple of interesting cool points just to throw out real fast. So the uh, the olive oil is kindled continually, right? Yeah. But the Rashi notes that the word continually has multiple meanings because the offerings are called the continual offerings, but they're not burning all day long. You burn them. It only if you translate it consistently, consistently. Like praying. Look at my wife's. See, this, we've been married for a long time. She's got the vibe. This is exactly, I think, what Paul's talking about. When Paul says pray continually or pray without ceasing, as some translations go, this has us conjuring up, and not that this would be a bad thing, this has us conjuring up this idea that if, that if you're driving and you're not in the middle of praying, you must be sinning. Because that's not, you know. But rather, think about it this way. Paul's strongly encouraging you to try paying, you know, eight, three times a day on a consistent basis each day. And it's like thinking about it that way where the word is not, is not always, but rather over and over and over and consistently at the same time on the same day repeatedly. And I think that's a really cool concept because I think that sort of changes the view. I mean, um, Boaz Michael from Versus Design would talk about this idea that if you are doing that three times a day, which by the way, I'm, I'm not, it's a challenge, it's really hard. Um, it's really healthy for you spiritually because you don't have a whole lot of time to wander. You know, it's like by the time you're starting to feel like uh, I, I might, get, I could probably hide from God. Whoop! Time for me prayers. Oh wait, he's still here. Okay, you know, and it's that whole idea is constantly that was reminders of Hashem. Um, one other other quick thing I want to throw out: the uh, if you look in this week's portion in Hebrew, as, as hopefully you had a chance to do Aaron Ebu's reading earlier this day. Um, it says to minister to me. Really cool word. Because it's not, it's not serve me, nor is it do anything to me. The word is, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's something like, um, likanu. It's like tekoen for me. Oh, cool. Because their very being, who they were, was a minister. So there was not a difference, talking about a point earlier, there was no daylight between being and doing as a Kohen. It was always the same. Who they were and what they were supposed to be doing was supposed to be consistent all the time. So when they were called a Kohen, they were supposed to Kohen in obedience to God. Ah, I thought that was pretty yeah, cool. Really so cool. we've been called to be uh, to be holy, to be children of God, as, as Paul likes to remind us, to walk circumspectly or 
to prove ourselves worthy of the calling of which we have. And it's like, you wear that name all day long. Mm. You, you, the difference between who you are and what you do should be zero. Amen. Yes, sir. That was awesome, Joshua. Thank you. Um, to your point on the, on the concept of praying consistently, and as we see, three times a day is the norm. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of when uh, Scott and I were starting men's ministries a lifetime ago in the, in the church. And two things were troublesome to us. Two things were a speed bump for us. And, uh, and I, I found a neat answer to both uh, here. One was, of course, um, what, what, do you, what do you tell the new believer? How did their life change? Hmm. And it was shocking to see them on Sunday morning and how far off track they got by the next Sunday morning. Hmm. Wouldn't it be great if there was a more <laughs> consistent <laughs> recollection of what this life and walk was Just what we had Wednesday night church. No wait. Right. And the potluck supper and all that. Yeah. Um, moving from once, or if you're in the car, two or three times a week, to a consistent mode of liturgical prayer, reviewing the Word of God and who He is and who I am and my responsibilities and His love for me and what He's done and so forth, uh, on a continual basis, <coughs> seems to keep young men out of trouble. That's the first thing. Second thing is, how do you tell the young convert how his life should change. What, what do you do for a living? I work at a strip club. Uh, well, that's not going to work. Right. Or fill in the blank. Whatever it was, it was one side of the church would say, you need to live righteously tomorrow morning. The other side would sort of cut you some slack, but not too much slack. And uh, there, there never really seemed to be an easy pathway to growth. It is helpful when you can start off by saying, Pork you're eating? Probably stop. Probably. So, in the Sparks of Hasidut, I, I bet uh, Rick has uh, read this this week, out of uh, Michael which would be the, uh, the Gutnik, <coughs> uh, this blew me away. Uh, and I am going to uh, post this everywhere I can. The Balchuva, that's the uh, penitent, approaches Judaism in a totally different manner to the Tzadik, the pious. The tzaddik is at ease with the observance of his vote and the study of Torah. Mm. I think that's true. The everyday practice of Judaism is an environment in which he finds himself at home. His religiosity is quiet and uneventful. We're just going about our day, and we do keep his commands. The Balchuva, on the other hand, comes back to Judaism from a distance. And I look at this now as the, the new believer as he follows the path of return, he finds himself wedged uncomfortably between two worlds. Mm. His former ways, from which he gradually strips himself, and the new Torah lifestyle, which he's attempting to embrace. Mm. Understandably, the process is one of considerable friction, mm. which could be described as a noisy form of Judaism. 
When the high priest entered the sanctuary, he did so on behalf of all the Jewish people, both those who were naturally pious and those who were still struggling to come closer to Judaism. There were his robe made noise to remind him that he was representing even the noisy Jew. Since this was the high priest's responsibility, his life was dependent on it. As the verse states, it sounds to be heard when he enters the holy place before God and when he leaves so that he will not die. That's very cool. Thinking about even the symbol of it, you know, the noisy one being the bells. The righteous man is the, is the pomegranates, which right, are right. six, traditionally there's 613 seeds, like the 613 commandments. That's not really true, but it's a cool tradition. It is cool. Um, and it's almost like he had the righteous one and right, the one who's power? striving. <laughs> yeah, she well, actually has. Guy. My wife. I, I have never heard such a great representation of what it means to come into the faith. Mm -hmm. it, it, the concept that, yeah, I, I can't live like you yet. I'm still dealing with the friction of getting rid of the stuff I need to get rid of and starting to keep that continual prayer time and the, the, the modani when I get up in the morning and all of these cool things that are going to help remind me of my responsibility, my love for God, his love for me, all those things I don't get yet, so my walk's kind of noisy. Well, and it's, and it, and it's such a beautiful picture in the story of the Radical Son that the, that the one who's fighting that friction, there's so much joy to God for them to do that. And yet, the the... The righteous one who's there all the time, he's like, we're always together. Like, you're not missing anything. I think that we miss that sometimes in the church. It's like, oh, you you came out of a life of, you know. Debauchery. Debauchery. That's great. This is awesome. Yeah. It's like, well. Yeah, tell us all about it. Yeah. yeah. It's like. <laughs> Give the, us the details. The point is, the point is not that that's, uh, we, the point is the fact that you came out is, a, is, is great rejoicing okay. because it shows the effort that, that you put into it. But the effort that the righteous man does effortlessly is is the beauty of it. He has that relationship with God that is consistent and it's even and it, and it's 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 simplistic in a sense and that um, and he's always with God. So there's that the two go together and I think that's a cool idea of the garment of, of the high priest, which I think fits in so perfectly with uh, what we started this poor portion talking about the different colors and the, the priest garments. Um, so I hope as you continue. Oh, oh wait. Well, just uh, on the garments, the, the funny moment this this week as I was kind of reading through, and you come to the part where you're talking about the the weaving together, and it talks about the wool and then the linen, and I had a moment where I was like, wait a minute, that's not. A oh wait, <laughs> that's only allowed here. <laughs> uh, the only guy who's allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it, what's cool though was that it, it made me realize how often we are inadvertently keeping mitzvot, that mitzvah huh. of not. Twisting together and wearing wool and linen, right? Um, except and the tzitzit, and for the except for the except the tzitzit, which is pretty right. Cool. Yeah, but but like how it's just a, a helpful reminder of like even now we have our clothing to think of God and our clothing right. to remember right. that we're setting right. apart ourselves with our clothing. As was right? the high priest. As was the high priest, but for us, it's avoiding yeah. that yeah. you know doing the same thing and and how cool that is now as an opportunity. So not just in the mornings, but now when we put on our clothes, it's like, hey, Ruch Hashem, keep it a mitzvah. Absolutely. Pope got that right. What's that? At least the Pope got that right. Too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and if you, uh, when you're putting on your seat seat in the morning, there's a blessing for that as well. See, all That's right. This one did. Very That's cool. Right. Um, Mr. Martin, would you close us out in prayer here? Absolutely.
Good job.